0: Hello, I'm Oliver Colling, and this is my 70s TV childhood. Hello again and welcome back to My 70s TV Childhood. We are a podcast dedicated to remembering what it was like to grow up as a child in Britain during the 1970s and in particular how TV influenced our lives then. Apologies for the slight delay in getting this episode live. We've had a few technical problems to deal with, largely connected to my being based in rural North Yorkshire and the occasionally inconsistent service and speed of rural broadband. But never mind, we are back. Thanks for all of you who got in contact wondering where our next episode had got to. I'm so pleased that you look forward so much to a new episode that you miss it when it doesn't land on time. As it used to say on some of my school reports, could do better. If you do want to get in touch on this or on any other subject, you can do so by going to our blog, www.my70stvchildhood.com. Tweet me at 70s TV Childhood or email me, oliver, at my70sTVchildhood.com. I'd love to hear your memories and your suggestions as to what you'd like to see featured in future episodes. This podcast is nothing without you, our listeners, and your memories. Anyway, I'm feeling a bit drained, both physically and emotionally, by the ups and downs of a UK TV police drama, Line of Duty which has just aired the finale to its sixth and possibly final series. For those of you outside the UK, and anyone in the UK that might have inexplicably missed it, I'll summarise. The series is about a police anti-corruption unit, AC-12, which spends its time identifying and pursuing bad coppers, as Superintendent Ted Hastings often says. The plots are truly labyrinthine, The twists and turns, truly shocking, and the body count, satisfactorily high. The show's creator, Jem Mercurio, keeps us guessing all the time and is not averse to killing off main characters at a moment's notice. It's all shot very stylishly and very well, with lots of car chases, police raids and intense interrogation scenes. The AC-12 offices are all very swish and high-tech, with lots of big TV screens and glass walls where pictures of victims and suspects, who often turn out to be both eventually, can be put up. It's all a very tense thriller, which has gripped the UK viewing public since 2012, with its main theme of institutional corruption and organised crime at the highest levels of the vaguely Midlands-based police force featured. I've loved it, but does it have any basis in fact? I asked a serving police officer I know recently how true to life it was, and he told me, well, apart from the swanky offices, the good-looking police officers, the fact that we hardly ever get any high-ranking officers implicated in murder and corruption investigations, it's almost spot on. Oh, and all the computers and technical stuff. That's a fantasy. We've still got PCs running Windows 95 in our office. So it may not be that realistic. But do we really want police procedural dramas to be realistic? The truth is, in the UK, there isn't that much in the way of outrageous crimes, and if a drama were to be based solely on what police officers did for most of the time, I suspect there might be a lot of sitting in the office filling out paperwork in and amongst issuing speeding tickets to hapless motorists. As always, this made me think about what I remember of law enforcement policing when I was growing up as a child in the 1970s. From an early age I was always aware of the police, largely because Padgate Police Station was very close to where we lived. I would guess it was a Victorian building and there were always police officers on duty at the counter, even though Padgate was still a small village. As a child I used to see one of the village policemen and they were all men I think, most days. They would either be walking up and down the streets be on a bicycle, or if you were very lucky, then go past in the blue-white panda car, which used to be parked outside the police station for most of the time. Now, I'm not an expert on law enforcement, and I'm not meaning to make any political point here, but what I can't understand is how Padgate, a relatively small village in the 1970s, had a fully-manned police station and a highly visible police presence across the community. And how we've got to the point where you can now hardly ever see a police officer, let alone know them by name. Now I'm sure the nature of crime and the methods used to detect it have advanced over the last 50 years. But it seems very strange to me that personal policing has been replaced by something very impersonal. I don't remember much in the way of crime at that time, other than the odd child stealing sweets from Hartley's the village shop. But in a few short years, the village police station had gone to be replaced by a rarely staffed police information point. And the level and nature of crime committed in the area had changed, and not for the better. Indeed, there was an infamous, shocking murder which took place in Padgate in the 2000s, which happened, rather ironically, very close to where the police station had once been. But back to the 1970s. As well as the local bobbies on the beat or on their bikes, We also had regular visits at school for the police, most notably to talk about road safety. Now, I've spoken in previous episodes about PC Snow, who used to come into school to show us road safety films and to persuade us to sign up to the Tufty Club, which I know many of you belong to across the country. In those early years at school, there was also another important source of information on the police, and that, of course, was the television. Now there were numerous US cop shows on during the seventies, and the likes of Hawaii Five O, Columbo, Kojak, Starsky and Hutch were all very glamorous and exciting. But as far as a child growing up in Northwest England was concerned, the crimes they were investigating could have been t- taking place on the moon. Kojak shaking up suspects in New York was not really relevant to the world of the local Bobby, and the road safety school's officer. In fact. New York came across as such a terrible place in these cop shows that I think that I and many others found it very unattractive and really not somewhere you'd like to see. Of course, once I had visited New York in my early 20s and realised that it was a vibrant, diverse and truly remarkable metropolis, I understood how the dark, seamy New York of the 70s cop shows had put me off. Leaving US cop shows aside... I'd like to focus on what we saw of British law enforcement on TV, and I'm pretty sure that I'm not the only one whose first introduction to law enforcement came from a certain cop on a motorbike. Here comes the policeman, the big friendly policeman, PC McGarry number 452 dogs, thick fogs, or don't know what to do. Then get the policeman, the big friendly policeman, PC McGarry number 452. they got the policeman, the big friendly policeman, PC McGarry number 452. Swimming... PC McGarry was a man for all events across Trentonshire although he focused most of his time on the seemingly crime-free village of Camberwick Green. He may have ridden a motorcycle and even had a radio telephone on his bike. But when it came down to it, I and lots of others knew that if we were ever in any trouble of any kind, all we had to do was ask a policeman, the big friendly policeman, PC McGarry number 452. Most of the on-screen real-life police drama was to be found on prime time on BBC and ITV, often on Saturday evenings. And there were a number of very popular dramas featuring the police. They were all largely based on the simple idea of good, straightforward people who were prepared to help defeat crime and the terrible effects it could have. The longest-running one of these had started in 1955 and featured a very well-known ordinary copper. Most crimes are solved by routine police work. The lab boys sort out the scientific evidence and the rest of us concentrate on getting statements from people who might know something. But one of the first things a policeman learns in the job is to be very careful when it's a question of eyewitness evidence. Sometimes, though, it's the only evidence we've got. PC George Dixon had originally appeared in the 1949 film *The Blue Lamp*, where he'd been dispatched by a gunshot fired by a young tearaway played by Dirk Bogard, but not before he'd t- tried to talk Dirk out of pulling the trigger. He was played by Jack Warner, who always seemed a bit long in the tooth to me as a child to be playing a policeman, which wasn't surprising given that he was born in 1895 so was well into his 70s when I first saw him in Dixon of Doc Green. Indeed, it got to the point where George became some sort of community liaison officer or something like that, and only made brief appearances at the start of the finish of the programme to top-and-tail dramas in which he took little or no part. Dixon and Doc Green was old-fashioned by the 1970s, and any amount of trying to introduce contemporary topics, such as drunks or domestic violence, couldn't hide the fact that it dealt with a Britain of the past, where 'er ne'er-do-wells could be dealt with by a stern word from a policeman, and the occasional clip round the earhole. It remained very popular, however, in the Saturday Night Schedules, right up until its final show in 1976, when I think Jack Warner, then 81, really couldn't face doing it anymore. So what other shows do I remember for the 1970s? Well, there were a couple of others whose focus on how the police worked was a little more realistic. Zed Cars had begun in the early 60s and was something of a revolution in terms of how British policing was portrayed on television. It was set in the fictional Newtown in the northwest of England, which was based on Kirby near Liverpool, one of the new communities which sprang up during the 1950s, 60s and 70s from the housing overspill from Liverpool city centre. Newtown, like Kirby, had grown rapidly and didn't have much in the way of local amenities, which led to an increase in crime. What said Cars also did was to let the viewers more into the personal lives of the officers, and many of them had their own demons and issues to deal with. It must have been revolutionary when the programme started in the early 60s, but even in the 1970s, when I, as a child, compared it to Dixon, Dot Green, it represented a different world. It probably helped that it was set not very far from where I lived, too, which added more to the realism. When I remember watching as a child, most of the stars of the 60s phase, like Colin Welland and the great Brian Blessed, had moved on to other things, but there were still lots of memorable characters, like Sergeant Lynch played by James Ellis, who I think was the first person I ever heard, either on TV or in real life, with a broad Ulster accent. And P.C. Quilly, played by Douglas Fielding, who eventually became the desk sergeant when Lynch was promoted. As well as some realism in the plots, when compared to the rather staid and cosy Dixon and Dot Green, it also had a cracking theme tune, based on the popular Liverpool folk song, Johnny Todd which we also used to sing during singing practice at primary school. And I also used to hear it when I joined my sister watching Everton play football. As the 70s progressed, I began to be able to stay up a bit later and watch more police procedurals. I must have been about 10 when I first saw a show which has remained a firm favourite ever since and one which I can still watch to this day and enjoy thoroughly. The Sweeney really did spell the end for cop shows like Dixon and Dot Green, and for many, it remains the essence of 1970s UK cop shows. Its main protagonists, Detective Inspector Jack Regan and his Sergeant George Carter, were loud, brash, liked to drink and a smoke, and occasionally bent the rules. And that was just them in the office. As members of the Flying Squad, which is Cockney rhyming slang for which is Sweeney Todd, get it? Sweetie Todd, Flying Squad. Yeah, anyway. Um, Regan and Carter took on the hardest of London's rough and tough villains. Sometimes they got the man, sometimes they didn't. They both had messy personal lives and each kept a bottle of whiskey in their desk drawers. What could be guaranteed was plenty of violence, swearing and action with shooters. All perfect ingredients for an impressionable 10-year-old. It felt like something really naughty, both by watching and by enjoying the programme. As i said before, I think my parents must have been very liberal allowing me to watch shows like The Sweeney, but I did enjoy it. Abiding memories, apart from their constant shouting, shut it, and getting into trouble with their boss, DCI Haskins. Things I remember include the, the huge number of eminent actors who took guest roles, including, now I, I think this is right, Morecambe and Wise, who starred in one episode? I think I remembered that correctly, and I'm sure that one of our listeners will put me right if I've just dreamt that. And the other thing which lives on in my memories was how grim the programme made London look. I would imagine it was largely shot in the East End and Docklands, but for a child watching, it did not make me want to rush to London as it was bleak, dirty, and full of villains running around with sawed-off shotguns, shouting things like "Shut up, you slag." at each other. It fully reinforced my northern bias against our capital city, which was only countered when I first visited London age 12 and found that it wasn't like the Sweeney at all. The success of the Sweeney led to a few shows with a similar theme. The Professionals is one worthy of note, although I don't think I'd class it as a police show, as CI5, the shadowy government agency at the heart of the programme, seemed more like the Secret Service to me. Anyway, more of Cowley, Bodie and Doyle to follow in a future episode. Popular culture reflected a change in the public's attitudes to police and policing during the 1970s and into the 1980s, when greater realism was demanded by viewers who wouldn't put up with a simple battle between good and evil, as fought by George Dixon. There was also increasing criticism of the police in the UK, as scandals emerged about corruption And rotten apples, or bent coppers, as Hastings would say, began to tarnish the reputation of the police. Certainly, the respect and absolute faith which I and many of my contemporaries had drummed into us as children became a little weaker as we moved into the 1980s, which were to be marked with race riots, violent protests during industrial action, and a growing realisation that the presence of a single policeman might not be enough to deter serious crime. TV shows adapted to the changing times, and as we moved into the 1980s, the focus was no longer solely on white male law enforcers. Juliet Bravo on the BBC and The Gentle Touch on ITV introduced us to strong senior women upholding the law in the UK at the same time as Cagney and Lacey arrived on these shores from the US. The police procedural was still as popular as ever, but there was increasingly an expectation that the main characters would have real-life problems to deal with, as well as nicking the villains. Detectives also became a bit more cerebral, and started to work out the answers using their brains as well as brawn the kick down the doors approach of Regan and Carter was quickly left behind as a whole series of new detectives emerged in the 1980s who had something distinctive about them, whether it was Jim Bergerac catching criminals on Jersey or Taggart dealing with violent crime in Glasgow. The viewers wanted more to capture their imagination. Ironically, this process ended up with John Thor swapping the swearing and shouting of Jack Regan for the crossword-solving, opera-loving, Oxford sleuth Inspector Morse a decade or so later. At least they both like their whiskey. That's all for now. Keep listening for a future episode where we'll be watching the detective's US style, which I promise will be a world away from George Dixon and Jack Regan. Did you enjoy the Sweeney or was Dixon of Dot Green more your cup of tea? Let me know at www.my70sTVchildhood.com Tweet at 70s TV Childhood or email me oliver at my70sTVchildhood.com Take care and join me again soon for more from My 70s TV Childhood.